Khan Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. In this episode, what is the future of travel and tourism in light of COVID-19? What have been the main legal issues for the industry arising out of the crisis? And what advice is there for hoteliers seeking to succeed? Hello, and welcome to the Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions podcast. I'm Neil Bayliss, a partner at Mishcon Dorea and head of our travel law group. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Catherine Dogrell, the Editor-in-Chief for the EMEA region at Questex Hospitality Group. Catherine is a leading commentator on travel and hotels, and we've met at various travel seminars and events over the years. Today, we're discussing if this is the dawn of a new age for travel and tourism, or just a temporary crisis. Our podcast today is being recorded over the internet from home. I'm here in Hertfordshire and Catherine is in the delightful Paris. Catherine, hi. Thank you, Neil. I was just having deep thoughts about whether in fact this was the dawn of a new age or just a temporary crisis. (laughs) Big question. (laughs) It is. Can I answer it with one word? Um, (laughs) It depends, I think, if you think whether we can have changes, permanent changes to to travel and changes to behaviour based on a four-month shift or, uh, or whether this really is something that was maybe always on the way. We've seen lots of trends um, in transactions and in operations which are being accelerated as a result of this, which, which were already happening. So you can see that it may be a new dawn, but maybe the sun has been rising for a very, 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 very long time on this. And now it's kind of shot up as if it was at the equator. Some of them changes will stick, I think, um, and some of them won't. But uh, I think as as far as, as you guys at Mishcon go, you've been involved very deeply in some of the insurance issues. And I know lots of hotels are um, desperate to see those stick but uh, how are they coming along yeah well we had the big test case in the high court a couple of weeks ago um, this is the fca bringing an action against a number of insurers and examining the various wonderful wordings they have in their insurance contracts and asking the judge for his view on those uh, we're waiting for the judgment on that there are also a number of other class actions ongoing one in particular for the hospitality industry which we're representing and other in relation to um, claims against Hiscox Group, which we're also involved in. So there's a battalion of uh, lawyers uh, lining up on both sides. Uh, there are probably billions at stake. It's it's a big matter. And rest assured, whoever wins round one will be um, heading off to the Court of Appeal or Supreme Court in short order. So we're going to have lots more fun and games in court before we know the answer. But it is a critical issue for this industry and indeed many others because the claims effectively will either keep these businesses afloat or put them in an incredibly difficult position. So it's a really important case to to see the outcome of. Uh, We've seen some variance in the response of the governments in the EU and Mm. the UK government. Do you think the UK government could have done anything? uh, Well, it could have done things differently, but do you think it should have done things differently? This is a really fascinating area. As you say, there have been hundreds of millions, if not billions of pounds of state aid provided by a number of different member states, both to airlines and to tour operators to to basically keep them afloat. Meanwhile, the UK government has taken a far more robust position. We've been seeing the likes of APTA lobbying hard to to get the government to, to put measures in place, and it's fell on stony ground. So Basically, the government has said we're putting consumers first. We want to um, we want consumers to get their refunds. We're not going to make life easy for tour operators, and we're not going to bail out the the airlines. Effectively, it's, it's sink or swim. Market conditions will apply. 
It's not immediately clear why that is, but I guess it boils down to politics and the fact that it's it's not seen as the top of the list in terms of where state funding should be going, which is very unfortunate for the industry, given the way that other member states have have reacted. But it is what it is. And I think it's it makes life even more trying for the UK travel industry. Do you think that we'll see a shift in the regulatory framework going forward? Or is it um, assuming there's any travel companies left at the end of it? Yeah, indeed. You, <laughs> who is there to regulate? Um, there are obviously a lot of questions being asked. We've got Brexit coming around the corner. That will allow the UK to go its own way if it wishes to in relation to the regulation of the uh, pack of travel industry. And we'll see what it chooses to do with that. I haven't read or seen anything to suggest that there are radical changes afoot, but there obviously are concerns as to how the whole system is funded. And basically, governments will not want to see consumers being stranded overseas if, if airlines go bust or travel companies go bust. So it's very important that the system is robust and gives people the protection that they need. So I think this is a, the ultimate stress test for the industry. Uh, there will inevitably be a review of how it's, how it's panned out. By and large, the dust is beginning to settle. Obviously, there was a lot of pressure from business to try and offer vouchers, etc. instead of giving refunds. Those efforts, I think, have sort of come to an end now and the industry's accepted that refunds are the, are the order of the day. If that's what people want, that's what they're legally entitled to receive. And so and to that extent, the system is is working. So I don't see a, a radical shift going forward You know, if, if it actually does what it says on the tin, which is that people do get a refund if they don't get their holiday or if the, the company concerned goes bust. Just read a survey this morning suggesting that this is the number one issue for UK travel makers. You know, more than 50% are concerned in relation to next year's holiday. Will the company they're booking with go bust? And it's essential there is there is a robust scheme in place to protect them. It possibly suggests that it's the larger companies that will do better because people trust larger companies, perhaps not to get into financial difficulties as much as smaller companies. So we'll see how that, that pans out. But even, even those companies obviously are struggling. So we'll have to see. But I don't say I haven't sort of seen the signs of a people saying we should just throw the existing regulatory framework in the bin and start again. I think uh, by and large it's a question of making what's there work. Yes, I guess if um, if you're booking your holiday and obviously other travel operators are available, but um, I would be inclined to maybe go with a German state-backed <laughs> travel operator <laughs> who who may have just received a, you know almost two billion euros. Um, it, they, it certainly helps, they doesn't it? Seem yeah. well capitalised, yeah. don't they? Thomas <laughs> Cook didn't do so very well, it seems. Um, mm. So you you talked a bit about who might be the winners and losers in this case. German mm. state-backed platforms, yes, likely <laughs> winners. <laughs> mm. And uh, who do you think is going to fall by the wayside here? Well, in terms, of, in terms of winners, I think the, the, the staycation is obviously on the up, isn't it? I've, we saw that the, the Caravan and Motorhome Club is gaining members at the rate of sort of 1,000 a week. You know, caravan sales, no doubt, booming. Campsite owners are you know, saying all their sites are fully booked for the season. That will carry on. That will be potentially exaggerated by the effects of Brexit. People finding travel overseas will become more complicated with visas and insurance, etc., so there'll be more and more people perhaps wanting to take the holidays locally. So that the domestic industry should should benefit from all this. Clearly, there will be uh, you know fallout in relation to companies mainly doing their business in areas where there is still a serious instance of, of COVID nineteen. I mean, the, the countries, particularly say South America, which are in dire straits, are not going to be top of anyone's list. I would suggest for um, for holidays anytime soon. So that the operators specialising in those sort of areas will inevitably um, feel the pain for some time, I fear. 
There's been lots of uh, sabre rattling this week from the likes of Heathrow Airport, who have been grumping that they're not allowed to test people as they come in. Um, some of the German airports, airports all over Europe, have introduced a testing regime for people from different countries. In France, if you come over from the US, you need to be tested. And this means that they've managed to avoid significant quarantining. Uh, quarantine, obviously, is extremely popular political, as far as we can tell, sledgehammer at the moment in the UK. What do you think mm. we need to do to change this regime? Because at the moment, business travel can't really kick in until you can release your business folk around Europe without them getting sick or without them getting locked up for two weeks afterwards. I think the truth is that the whole um, test and trace regime has been a bit of a disaster. No. Um, no, he said, <laughs> shockingly. <laughs> News just in. All revelations um, here. <laughs> exactly, you heard it first here. Uh, so this is this is just the next sort of chapter in that sad story. You know, we know that places like Germany and Korea got their act together at an early stage. This has enabled them to basically get the pandemic under control and get the numbers right down. We have singularly failed to do that. And the knee-jerk response of imposing quarantines every time we think the risk may be going up in a particular country is a complete disaster for business and leisure travel because it just removes certainty, increases anxiety as to the possibility of a quarantine. And therefore, it's simply not an option to take the risk of traveling almost anywhere at the moment. So it's it's... To the extent this policy remains in place, uh, it's a real roadblock, I think, to to the growth, certainly, of business travel. And now that people obviously want to get their children back to school, the, the possibility of going away and, and not being able to, to send the children to school is, is a real, um, it's just a no-go. It's not an option. So we had the, the sight of half a million people rushing back from France last week, um, which is great news for Eurotunnel and um, others who were able to provide travel at somewhat um, less discounted prices than might have otherwise been the case. And, um, you know, talk about not having a relaxing end to your holiday when you're sitting in traffic jams for hours. So it's it's not really a satisfactory solution. And uh, I, f- I fully agree that more needs to be done to put those measures in place, which you know are proven to work in other countries. It's a bit mystery to me why we have failed to follow the lead of countries that have succeeded where, where we played. Well, I was, um, I was watching a little Matt Hancock on, to give him his formal name, um, on the TV this morning. <laughs> and he was, of course, was asked why it was um, with the chief executive of Heathrow in his ear saying, mm. we need to open, we need to open, why can't we just test people? And uh, he's all, no, 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 it's very complicated. It's very complicated, it turns out. So um, so that's that's the reason, in case anyone <laughs> yeah, was wondering not, why they're not allowed to travel. That, okay, it's that's, complicated. that's good to know. It's very that's complicated. Good to know. Yeah, it's complicated. Uh, so <laughs> so um, with that in mind, and all things being equal in terms of, I'm in mm. France, you're in the UK I can't come to the UK for any any reason at all possibly for an eye test where do you think we're heading <laughs> for the UK do you think you, we're going to see more of a split in performance in the hotel sector between mainland Europe and the United Kingdom or do you think we'll catch up how long do you think it will take to recover and will we be a, in a two-tier system mm. I think if I if I knew the answer to that I'd potentially be uh, a wealthy man and be probably sort of uh, on radio four <laughs> Telling the world what the answer was. Oh, we'll have a pontificate. I think that clearly we are <laughs> we are in catch up mode. We are going to be behind the curve in terms of the rest of Europe. I mean, the picture isn't isn't even across Europe. There clearly some countries have got very different policies to others. We've got Sweden as the outlier that basically took a slightly Trump esque approach of saying we're just going to carry on. Other countries which which were far more cautious and let's say imposed very strict test and trace regimes. But I mean, you've got. Domestic demand, which will be there. We have got the events conferencing green light for 1st of October. So there will be 
hotels in the UK, which will be able to run events. That's a significant source of revenue for many of them. Uh, I think there'll be a pickup in domestic business activity. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, the staycations are up. There are sort of budget brands, obviously, reopening and promoting their their offering. So I think it's by no means a disaster. I think the the the, the industry will will certainly survive, but I think we'll be just a, a few weeks, a few months behind the rest of Europe. Obviously, that's all predicated by the question of whether we get a second wave or not. If if the policy of everyone to go back to school just sets off thousands of, of new daily cases, then we've kind of just reset the clock back to April and off we go again. And we before we know where we are, we're into sort of year two of this of this mess. But a more positive note would say that that doesn't happen. And then as we get into next year, people starting to do their budgets, starting to plan for what they're going to be spending the money on. And that will include, as I say, business and, and leisure expenditure on, on hotel sector. I know you, you have a particular interest expertise in in the hotels and, and you've you know, written widely on the topic. But what, what's your angle on this? Do you, do you have a positive outlook for um, certainly the UK? Well, the- Hotel sector, given that's where most of our listeners are probably uh, If based. you're in private equity and you're sitting on the edge waiting for massive, massive bargains, I've spoken to a few people and they've said, <laughs> you know, I'm not buying now. The prices haven't discounted enough. I'm really waiting for a second wave. Mm. So um, so they're, right, they're enjoying okay. that um, consolidation. For me, as someone who covers <laughs> the sector, there's bound to be plenty of news. We're all mm. enjoying the Travelodge debacle at the yeah. moment, which has been fascinating, certainly from a legal standpoint, um, contractually with all the CVAs and as you, as you say I think a lot of this has accelerated what has been sort of bubbling under um, I think that's true in terms of uh, obviously working practices generally the fact that we're, almost everyone's going to be saying I can work from home at least some of the time now and some people will be working from home all the time instead of commuting into the office and as you say for hotels the whole sort of financial risk reward structure being looked at and landlords no longer having this sort of complete dominance in negotiation with tenants and there having to be some element of revenue share. I think that's you know, something which obviously people were talking about, but now, as you said earlier, that that's actually going to, going to really start kicking in because the, the balance of power has changed. Do you agree? Um, I'm not sure how ever? permanent the shift has been. Um, I do think there are issues with leases. There used to be a nice, quiet way to earn loads and loads of money for your pension. And now it turns out that if you close a hotel, it's not so much fun after all. So there may need to be shifts to that and I think that's more than likely um, I think one of the interesting areas that we'll see with people working from home more which obviously doesn't work for frontline staff in the hotel sector but for working from home more whether the business traveler will be somebody who's traveling from maybe further away to stay near their office for the two days a week they're going into the office rather than just mm. people who are coming to mm. events or coming to meet clients so I think we'll see some movement on how the business traveler is sliced and diced could be an interesting shift do you see some closures do you think the market will contract um i think that certainly if you were to look at travelodge and i think you can extrapolate out quite a long way in the uk by looking at that there will be inevitably some hotels which exit the market entirely on account of there just being right. too terrible right. to remain as hotels <laughs> without significant investment and one of the things that has been observed obviously with the, the state of the uh the US in relation to COVID-19 is the dramatic fall off in terms of US inbound tourists who were a major part, certainly of the sort of London high-end hotel market, along with some of the Asian travellers. So have you seen a particular consequence yet in terms of the sort of 
four five star London luxury end, or are they they holding their own fine, notwithstanding the lack uh, of our no, it's an absolute apocalypse. Um, you get much much better. You get eighty mm. plus percent occupancy in Bournemouth at the moment, and it's right down in the terrifying lower figures for London. But I think what we've seen in recent years in the transactions market in London is that people will pay hugely over the odds just to own a luxury hotel in London and the people who are buying these are big yeah. family offices people who are not worried about a dip in performance for one year or for five years or possibly even for longer because they're going to hold these massive gold right, hotels long term. forever yeah so, yeah it's a great to say I own the Ritz exactly or who doesn't Connacht want to you know, know yeah, just because yeah, there's no one staying there shouldn't and... hold you back <laughs> have your own exactly. room it's nice yeah. everyone over <laughs> you've got a spare <laughs> Spare billion, then it's not exactly. a bad way you to spend saving money, on cleaning but, um, costs. So, you know, all good. <laughs> Keep it shut, I say. But, but as you say, these places won't be uh, thrumming with life for a little while. No, um, no. I, I, I feel last time I was in central London, there was, I think I was the only person there. Hmm. So <laughs> You were made most welcome by numerous hotels and restaurants, I'm sure. Yeah, please come to us. Spend your money. Yes. But before we had all this, hmm. there were other things happening, I believe, in the hotel industry. And other aspects, we were all getting very concerned about Greta and uh, and how terrible hotels were on that front. Do you think mm. that um, hotels will be able to look back or concentrate again on their environmental targets, of which they all had many ahead of this? Yes, yes. I think, well, that's the other sort of big theme for the future, isn't it? I mean, COVID hopefully will be a short-term issue. Hopefully next year we'll be, we'll be over the worst and into fresh water, as it were. But the whole sort of well, if you listen to to, to mm. Chris Nassetter at Hilton, he thinks we're going to have a vaccine next month. So oh, that's great. We're all sorted. Yeah, there. it's done, isn't it? <laughs> going to queue up now. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> yes. Well, I think um, not sure. Not sure. I'd put my money there. So I'd be an optimist. I think would say you know next next spring, hopefully things will be will be clearing up. But if it comes before then, that's fantastic. I know the government's certainly spending lots of our money on on vaccines, which hopefully will work, or maybe not. But we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> Yeah, the whole the whole ESG approach to business and the environmental aspects of the travel industry generally probably one of the biggest issues going forward, and the increasing awareness of consumers that there is an impact in terms of their behaviours and the the need to think about the consequences of travelling to particular locations and how those destinations are dealing with sort of large numbers of tourists and the inevitable impact they have on the environment. I think it is it is increasingly coming to the fore. It was never really spoken about. It was a bit of a we just don't go there type subject. But but I don't think that's the case anymore. And I actually think that companies will increasingly see the benefit of having a really joined up, coherent and meaningful policy on those issues. And that's for, for hotels, tour operators, destinations, etc. It's been a bit of a sort of high end luxury thing, you know, go and have your super eco holiday and pay twice as much to, to <laughs> to go and live somewhere everywhere, everything's recycled and there's no impact whatsoever and it's all wonderful. And that's sort of not been at all the sort of mainstream approach where it's just go and, go and have fun and don't really care. It's only for a week or two, so it doesn't really matter. But that, that is changing. And that's true for, as I say, airline tour operators, hotels. A lot of the state aid that has been given to the airline industry has come with the condition that the airlines introduce further measures to um, to improve their environmental footprint, whether by upgrading their fleet or just considering their practices generally in terms of how much stuff they're throwing away after every flight. So there's a lot of work, I think, genuinely kicking in now. And you know, I, I, I'm excited about it. I think it's huge positive because the industry obviously is, is collectively, if you include all the travel, um, responsible for you know serious carbon footprint, serious amounts of pollution and waste, but it can be put right. The techniques are there. If people think about it, they can, they can turn it around. 
and you know and I'm glad to see that there is now meaningful pressure to to make those changes so that that's a positive and I think that that's a real sort of important trend to, to focus on for for the travel industry going forward yeah have you limited your travel so you limited your travel because Dominic Cummings doesn't want you to travel but um, <laughs> have you actively changed the way that you travel well certainly since March I've been been working from home like many many people I'm, I'm considering my future working practices I haven't um, done any overseas travel I was going to have a nice couple of weeks in Turkey but that got got cancelled so I had a very pleasant week in Yorkshire which was um mm, you know sunny and, and lovely and <laughs> just the same without the without the four hours flight so obviously like most people you know I enjoy traveling exploring I'm hoping that 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 does come back I wouldn't want to be um sort of sitting at home indefinitely that's the sort of overriding sort of good news story I guess for the industry is that almost the last thing that people do cut is their their sort of annual holiday their travel that that's so important for most people I mean I was quite surprised that there were half a million people in France but we could go. That's a lot of people. Um, so that, well, if you'd you, you, people... been in France like I have, you wouldn't be surprised mm. at all because uh, because <laughs> well, yeah. everyone is here. Everyone, all the Brits are here. Yeah, all there. They're all here. <laughs> but that's just one country. So I imagine, I imagine there must be you know, over a million Brits somewhere in the world on a holiday, notwithstanding quarantines and all the hassle and the risks. So we're a nation that like likes to travel. We enjoy our holidays, and I don't think that won't change. So um, to the extent we can return to any form of normality, we will, and that's that's I guess the positive for the industry, as you say. Looking at it medium long term, it's still a it's still a great industry to be part of, and if you're selling the right product to people, they will come and buy it. But yes, I think we will hope we will see intriguing things come out of this for hotels. There's no greater sector to cover. It's full of innovation and fascinating people and hospitable places and wonderful things to see all the time. And that's not going to change. I do wonder whether we'll see an end to casual travel where you just hop on an easy jet and go to Barcelona for the weekend. Mm. But um, but people do like Barcelona. And much as I like Yorkshire, and it's a wonderful place, I've spoken to an awful lot of people this year who feel that they have been robbed of their uh, <laughs> of trip experience, to the sun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there'll be a sort of flood of flood of pent up demand, won't there? A sort of rush of bookings for the right companies to to benefit from. Once yes, the yes. No, I think our favourite favourite um, mm. state back travel company said that they'd seen a huge uplift in uh, 2021 summer bookings already. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Well, thank you, Catherine, for joining me today on what I think was a really interesting discussion. We'll see what the future holds. But in the next episode, my colleagues Louis Flannery QC and Kate Clark will be talking about the future of remote courts and arbitral tribunals. The Digital Sessions are a series of online events, videos and podcasts, all available at mishcon.com. And if you have any questions you'd like answered or suggestions of what you'd like us to cover, do let us know at digitalsessions at mishcon.com. Until next time, take care. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. <laughs>